Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast. I'm Jane Rogers, journalist, health coach, consultant to doctors, and recovering chocoholic. My passion is helping my friends and others squeeze every drop out of life, using the latest scientific breakthroughs to make 90 the new 40, extend our health spans by 10 to 20 years, and prevent the diseases of aging. I travel the world interviewing leading experts in health and longevity to learn how to live longer, better, Buckle up, it's never too late to ride the cutting edge to grow younger, sexier, healthier, and sharper together. Slowing or reversing the aging process reduces your chances of getting age-related diseases. It will keep your mind vibrant, sex life great, and when you're 90, you feel like you're 40. There are many components to increasing your health span and slowing aging. Our guest today, Dr. Jeffrey Gladden, is the founder of Gladden Longevity in Dallas. He knows all the tricks. Dr. Gladden, I'd like to welcome you to Cutting Edge Health. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic, Jane. Thank you. It's really, uh, it's fun to see you. We're on a nice video connection here, so. You feel like you're just right next door. Exactly. I got to tell you, I'm a fan of your podcast, Gladden Longevity. Great. I love hearing that. I'm picking up a lot from it. Okay. Tell me about it. You're enjoying it, aren't you? Yeah, I love doing it. I love disseminating information, democratizing the information. So yeah, we have a lot of fun with it. What do you enjoy about it? Oh, I enjoy a lot of things. Your thyroid episode, how to keep your sex life vibrant when you're Mm -hmm. like our grandparents' age. Um, Yeah. The different techniques for increasing health span. And some of our things that we can do every day, foundational. Others mm-hmm. are things you need to add in if you really are excited about doing this. Yeah. So, I, oh, I'm learning a lot. I don't miss them. Good, 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 good. All right. So tell me about your journey. Not too many docs. You're a cardiologist by training. Mm-hmm. Not too many docs are pivoting like you and saying, wait a minute, what is the future? Yeah. I want to go toward that future. You're still a cardiologist, but you've moved in a different direction. That's right. Tell us about that. Yeah, my background is interventional cardiology. I did my training at good institutions, and I started my clinical practice in 1988. And it was in Texas because it was a target-rich environment, a lot of chicken fried steak eating, tobacco chewing people down there. And I thought, well, for a young interventional cardiologist, I've hit the promised land here. So I went down there, and in the context of being down there, I ended up doing a lot of things. I ended up Starting my own heart group, we ended up with 10 offices, 12 doctors. We flew around in a little A36 Bonanza to outlying areas. Always had a passion for trying to bring high-quality care to outlying areas where people couldn't access it. So that's why we ended up with as many offices and things like that. Uh, and then I got involved in trying to change the paradigm of how care is provided. And it was very difficult to get hospitals to listen to us. So we ended up, myself and another cardiologist, And the people at Baylor co-founded a heart hospital, which has become a really great heart hospital there in Plano, Texas, and now has several locations in North Texas. And what I liked about it was we were asking a different question. We were asking, how do we make cardiology care patient-centric as opposed to hospital-centric? How do we actually improve the, the experience for the patient and their families? I've also been involved with medical device companies and with starting cath labs and on and on. But I got sick. What happened was I got sick in my 50s, and I used to play soccer in college and a bit of basketball. And, you know, playing soccer, I could run all day, literally, you know. I think what most of us do is we end up leveraging our health for the sake of building our businesses or building our families, and we get to a point where it's time to sort of reclaim that. For me in my 40s, I decided, you know, I feel like I'm getting out of shape. I'm feeling more tired. I'm going to go out and go for a run. I'm going to get back in shape. And I ran two blocks, literally two blocks, 
and I had to stop. And I was like, holy cow, I have gone so far down here. And so what I did was, and this is important for the listeners, I started to incorporate exercise into my daily routine. I started trying to walk to work or run to work or ride a bike to work or take the stairs or anything I could do to increase my activity. And then started cycling on the weekends and running on the weekends. And, you know, a few months in, I was able to run three miles and starting to feel better and all that sort of thing. And that worked fine from my 40s into my 50s. And this is another critical take-home point for people to understand is that every decade requires a different approach. In the aging process, what you did to get in shape in your 20s is not what you're going to need to do in your 40s or 50s or 60s. It takes a different approach. And so in my 50s, I got sick. And when I say got sick, it wasn't like I had an infection or anything like that. I just was started putting on weight again. I was tired all the time. When I would get stressed, I would feel myself go over this cliff of depression. It wasn't like you could talk yourself out of it. And it was really frustrating. And my father had died with dementia. And at that point in time, was starting to struggle with it. And I was developing brain fog. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? It's going to be from here on. It's just going to be downhill. And it was such an existential kind of time for me. And so I went in and got checked out by my colleagues. And I had blood work done. And I had, you know physical exam and all that stuff. And when the results came back, what I was told was, you know, everything checks out okay for your age. You're just getting older. And why don't you take an antidepressant? And and I was like... That's not what you wanted. I was like, no, no. I'm a mountain biker. I'm a snowboarder. I like to run. I like to body surf. I like to stand up paddle. I like to do all these different things. And I've got businesses and I'm growing, I've got things that I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not going to start an antidepressant and accept the fact that I'm quote unquote getting older. And that's the explanation. So what I did was I threw myself into functional medicine, age management medicine, integrative medicine. And after about two and a half years, I was able to crack the code for myself in terms of what was actually going on. I had subclinical hypothyroidism, which means all my thyroid numbers were in the normal ranges, but at the tissue level, my cells were not getting enough thyroid hormone. And you pick that up with biometric testing, either reflex testing or resting metabolic rate. And genetically, I don't convert inactive thyroid T4 into active thyroid T3 very efficiently in my brain. And so once I got on the right combination of thyroid, combination of T3 and T4, It was literally like somebody turned the lights back on. It was like I was bouncing out of bed again in the morning. It was like, holy cow, this is amazing. And then I'd become hormonally depleted, as people do. Women go through menopause. Men go through andropause. My testosterone levels were going down. I got on some testosterone replacement, some DHEA, which is a precursor to to testosterone as well. And if you're going to do that, it's critical that you not just start hormones without looking at how your body is set up to metabolize those hormones. And that's tested through a urine test because you can get in a lot of trouble with hormones if you're not paying attention to the metabolites of the hormones. So it requires not only blood testing, let's say, or saliva testing, but also requires urine testing to look at those metabolites. So anyway, once I got that sorted out, then I put on 10 pounds of muscle and lost 20 pounds of fat. And I was back to pretty much what I weighed in college. And it was like, okay, this is cool. I like that. And then the brain fog was partially related to the thyroid, but also genetically, I don't make certain neurotransmitters as efficiently as I should. And so once I got on the right combination of B vitamins and magnesium and some other things to help some things work appropriately, all of a sudden my brain cleared up 
And it was like, okay, this is really interesting. And since then, I've continued to work on my brain a lot because there will still be times when if I eat the wrong thing or if I'm really tired or whatever, it's I get a little bit foggy. But there are also times when I feel like I'm just almost clairvoyant, right, where you can remember anything that you ever did, anything you ever read. And so I've learned how to train my brain back into that, and we're doing a lot of that in our clinic now. So anyway, once I got to the end of that period of time, I started to ask myself a question. It was, geez, if I can feel this good here in my 50s, I wonder how good I can be. I wonder how fit, how strong, how mentally sharp, and for how many years and decades can I carry this forward? And that was the initial question that I asked. That's just, I wonder how good I can be. And so all of a sudden, I realized that I'd been practicing sick care, right, and not health care. If you got sick, you came to see me. But if you asked, what do I do to stay healthy from a cardiac standpoint? I don't know, eat better and exercise. That would be about the end of it. So I really decided that I wanted to practice healthcare for the rest of my life. And I think it's a little unusual for people to pivot because for me, it was like base jumping. You know, I knew how to make a living as an interventional cardiologist, but all of a sudden I'm leaving the insurance world. And the reason your doctor is not doing this is because they're handcuffed to the payers. They're handcuffed to the insurance companies. If they're not paying for it, they're not thinking about it. They're not learning about it. Pharma has a big play in that whole scenario. So you're never going to get this kind of care from your traditional doctor. It's just not part of the system. The system works to keep everything going down one particular path. So anyway, I left. I left the cardiology group, and I started what initially was kind of a concierge cardiology health optimization practice, which eventually grew into Glad and Longevity as we learned more and more about how to make it work and, and all that sort of thing. And we just kept adding more and more capabilities until now we can do Unbelievable things, quite honestly. I mean, really unbelievable things in terms of helping to turn back the clock for people, healing things, fixing people's brains, helping their hearts, people struggling with long haul symptoms and things like that. We have great solutions for that. So there's just all kinds of things that when you keep asking questions, you get more and more answers. And I think one of the other things to just mention here in this in this pivot was that I realized that professionals, physicians in general, we get trained and we're all trained at good institutions and we all come into this with caring hearts. I mean, we really want to help people, right? Mm -hmm. But we, we basically get trained up with a set of answers and a way of thinking and we get married to that approach. We get married to that set of answers. Like if your cholesterol is high, well, then I know what to do. I'm going to put you on a statin. If you're, you know, if you're having angina, I know what to do. I'm going to do a heart cath and put a stent in, right? And so you get married to these answers and what I learned is that really those answers were so limited because I was finding lots of different answers that didn't exist in traditional medicine and they worked. They worked for me and they were working for a lot of other people. And so I decided that I was going to leave the concept of being married to my answers behind. And from then on, all I am is married to the questions, right? How good can we be? And now we've added, how do we make 100 the new 30? I think Newsweek just came out with 90 as the new 40. So we're still ahead of the curve. And then how do you live well, quote unquote, well beyond 120? Uh, and people ask, you know, well, why would you want to do that? And we can talk about that a little later in the podcast, too. But anyway, so we're married to the questions and we've never looked back. So you're much happier now than you were. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Much happier. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. No, it's a joy to do what I do because we're not handcuffed to anything. We can bring forward new technologies. We can 
We can go down the rabbit hole with somebody if they have a particular issue. It's an absolute joy to do what we do. And, and you know, our greatest joy, quite honestly, is seeing our clients do well, hands down. Well, there are a lot of things I want to talk about okay. that you that you're doing that that folks are doing in the longevity mm-hmm. space. But I'm wondering first, do people look at you like I've been getting lately? Like you have a third eye. You want to live to 120. Why would you want to do that? Right, 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 right. Are you getting a lot of that? And is that going to change? Will that change as this becomes even more mainstream? You know, Newsweek did that article, which helps, but it's going to be more mainstream. You're just one of the early adopters. Yeah. Here's the way for the audience to, to understand this. And I just gave a talk in Miami to a group last week, last Saturday. And this is a very high functioning group of entrepreneurs that you know own multiple businesses having global impact. And these people are really all about how do I make more impact? And you know, really, when you think about your life, what we really enjoy about our lives is having great relationships, being creative, making an impact in our communities and our businesses and our families, right? It's being relevant, being impactful and doing that. And so one of the things that I told the audience is that longevity, because I asked the question initially in this talk, why longevity? Why are we talking about longevity? Why would you want to live to 100? Why would you want to live to 120? And what I told them was longevity is the currency of impact. In fact, longevity is the currency. That's a good way to put it. Of exponential impact. So there's two things going on here. One is that we tend to think that aging is a linear process, right? Because every year we get a year older. It's like, well, I'm not that much different than I was last year. Probably next year I'll probably be about the same. And if I were to ask myself or to ask you, you know, what are you going to be like 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Well, I don't know, probably about like I am, about the same, right? About the same. It's very difficult for us to project exponential decline. And yet the aging process is an exponential process. So it's around us every day. We know that people age so much more between 80 and 90 than they do between 30 and 40 or 40 and 50, right? So much more. It's an exponential decline. And the reason that it seems linear earlier in life is because we have so much physiologic reserve that even though it's being cut down at an exponential pace, we still have plenty to go around, right? And so we don't really experience it in an exponential point of view until you get to sort of that breaking point, which could, some people it happens in their fifties, some people it happens in their seventies, some people in their eighties. And then it's like, well, she was great. She was driving. She was playing games. She was playing golf at 86. At 92, the wheels were completely off, right? Yes. Completely off. And yeah. so yeah. there is an exponential decline that happens. And, and people tend to acquiesce to things, right? It's like, well, I used to run, but no, I don't do that. I used to, um, I don't do that anymore. I, I don't do that anymore. And so all these little micro acquiescences, right, to the aging process, people are giving up their capabilities. And that accelerates that exponential decline. So it's important to understand that aging is not linear, it's exponential. So why longevity? Well, if you change that curve, which is what we're doing, from one of exponential decline, even if we got it back to one of linear decline, but what we're really going for is making 100 to new 30, and we currently have a research protocol that's in play for people to participate in where that's literally what we're going for. Imagine that. So think about your impact. All right. Now let's just superimpose impact for a minute. How much impact did you have between the ages of 10 and 20, right? 20 and 30, 30 and 40, 40 and 50. Every decade, it's more impact than you had in your entire prior life. 
It's an exponential increase in impact, right? Yes. So your health is there. You're yes. going along and then you hit a point. Maybe it's in your 60s. Maybe it's in your 70s. Maybe it's whenever. And all of a sudden your health gets to a point where you can no longer do what you want to do in, from an impact standpoint and your impact plateaus. And then as your health declines further, exponentially, your impact falls off a cliff. It doesn't decline exponentially. It just falls off a cliff at some point. You're showing up differently in the world. That's right. You're showing up differently yeah. in the world. Big right? time. I had a conversation with a friend yesterday who was with a friend of his who's a very impactful guy. Just got diagnosed with stage four cancer, right? He's fighting that right now. You know, if he makes it through that right? He won't be the same coming out of that, right? What does that do to his impact, his contribution, if you will? And so longevity, if we push longevity from being exponential decline to being even linear decline or staying the same, which is really what we're after, then what you did in your 40s and 50s, 50s and 60s, 60s and 70s, 70s and 80s, that's an exponential rise in your ability to be impactful. And impactful can be either service or it can be the businesses that you're building or whatever, the wealth that you're developing, all these different things. But your impact is going to continue to rise. And so it's one of the most dramatic things you can see when you see it graphed out, because instead of dropping down in an exponential way, you're rising up in an exponential way. And it's all built on the fact that you're maintaining your health over this or your longevity, if you will, your, your health span over this more linear approach. So a linear result right, gives you an exponential benefit. And because you're playing a game that's actually one of exponential decline, a linear response to getting your health back is not going to be adequate. You have to have an exponential response strategy to put yourself back on a linear slope, which then enables you to have an exponential impact. So I think this is really, really important for people to understand. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times when people get to a point in their life where they don't you know, feel like they used to, they don't look like they used to, they can't do what they used to. It's an existential moment like it was for me. And so then people say, well, they either acquiesce, okay, I'm getting older, everybody around me is getting older, societies institutionalize that, social securities institutionalize that, medicine is institutionalized that, you're getting older. Or you say, no, I don't want to get older, I want to stay young. And so the strategy there is to get healthy. And so you get healthy. And sure enough, like I did in my 40s, that works for a while. But because it's a linear response to an exponential problem, it has a shelf life. It's going to run out in four, five, six, eight, 10, 12 years, whatever it is. But that linear response will not get you where you want to go. You have to have an exponential strategy to solve an exponential problem to put you back on a linear glide slope so you can have exponential impact going forward. And that's kind of how it works. And no one's done this before. I mean, no. this is the first generation to look at this. 100%. And so there's stuff we need to be doing now. 100%. It's hard to incorporate that into our lives. That's right. What would you tell folks if you want to start on this? A, drive a, drive a car that's got all the safety yeah. features, because that's one way that you can end it right now. But um, <laughs> apart from that, what would you do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or your seatbelt, put on your oxygen mask first, you know, some of those kinds of things, right? No, I think... Where would you start? Well, I'll tell you what. When people come to work with us, many times it's like, well, what should I do? What should I take? And really the first place we yeah. start is, what should you stop doing, right? What should you stop doing? What should you take out? Mm -hmm. Because we find that so many mm -hmm. people are sabotaging their health based on what, what they're currently doing, eating, taking, drinking whatever, yep. right? So really to, the place to start is by taking out the bad stuff, you know, whether it's smoking, 
too much alcohol, a little bit of alcohol can be okay. We find that people that drink on a regular basis just never get the same results that other people do. And I don't have anything against alcohol. It's just an empiric observation. So managing alcohol, you know, getting on more of a plant-based diet. Diets are very specific to the individual, uh, but in general, eating more plants, less meat, lower protein diets, you live longer. Everybody's about, oh, you need all this protein. Well, yeah, you need protein, but high protein diets, people don't live as long. It's the mTOR going. It's the mTOR, yeah. And that's that's another sidebar mm-hmm. conversation, which is very interesting. But I think sleeping is incredibly important. And in my construct of this, and maybe we can include this in your show notes, I've developed an avatar, basically. And there are there are four circles that you really have to address to have an exponential strategy. And the first circle is life energy. The second circle is longevity itself and the real drivers of longevity, which are different from what makes us healthy per se. They kind of underlie what makes you healthy, but they're different. And typically a get healthy strategy never addresses the actual drivers of aging. There were nine hallmarks of aging that were described in 2013 A paper this year has now expanded that to 14 hallmarks of aging, and we're actually looking at 20 primary drivers of aging right now, and we're doing some incredibly sophisticated work, which is another sidebar conversation, to actually measure all of those for people and even more, quite honestly. But that being said, that longevity circle, those drivers, just because they're there, it doesn't mean that you basically go after each one of them simultaneously. There's actually a a timing, a sequence a frequency, intensity, and duration with which you go after those drivers. It's very musical, if you will. And so you have the life energy circle, you have the longevity circle, you have the health circle, which includes all the things you typically know from sleep to metabolic disease, which is like diabetes or prediabetes, thyroid, hormones, you know, all the things that people think about. And then there's performance. And many people leave that circle unattended to. And performance has to do with, you know, when you're a teenager and you want to get in shape, It's like, well, I'll lift some weights and go for a run. The next thing you know, you're there. Mm -hmm. But when you're 50 or 60 or 70, that strategy doesn't work anymore. And I see so many people doing the same things that they did when they were in their 20s or teens and thinking they're going to get the same results later in life, and they're not. And there's a reason for that. So Mm -hmm. for me, being in shape is being fast, agile, strong, quick, balanced, flexible, with great cardiovascular endurance, right, and good recovery. And if you're going to have that later in life, you've got to focus on all of those things. How many people fall down and break hips, right? How many people lose their balance? How many people are feeling for the curb, right? It takes a different strategy to not allow that to happen. If you're not working on balance training, you know, with dynamic balance boards and things like that, not just static standing in a yoga class, which is great, but you need other things, you're going to lose that capability, you know, use it or lose it. People used to talk about that, used to laugh about that when I was a kid growing up and they were referring to sexuality, use it or lose it. But the same is true when it comes to any physical activity, if you will. Balance is a giant one, right? So anyway, you have to address all those things on the performance circle too, right? And those are all free. You can do those yourself. You can stand on a BOSU at home, try to stay for a minute with one leg. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You can eat better. You can learn to meditate. You can do all those things. All those things have impact, but they're still falling into a linear approach to an exponential problem because everybody that ate better, exercised, meditated, lowered stress, had good relationships, they still aged and they still died, right? They didn't live to 120. And every picture I see of somebody that was 120 that made it that far is not exactly what I'm going for, right? I don't want to look like that. 
They did better, but they didn't crack the code. And so it's really, really critical to focus on the longevity circle and the uh, life energy circle. So the life energy circle is critical because it's really kind of the ring that binds them all. The way I show it is a Venn diagram, and I'll maybe I'll share this with you for the podcast notes, where you have we'll put it up. health intersecting with longevity, intersecting with performance, so a Venn diagram, those three circles. But a circle around all three of those is life energy. And that's because if we don't have our life energy synchronized, we're sabotaging our health all the time. So the things that show up on the life energy circle are things like having a growth mindset where you actually are married to your questions and not your current answers. It's not like, well, this is how we eat. This is what we think. This is what we drink. This is how we work out. This is what we do. These are our hobbies. These are our friends. Those are all answers, right? It's like, no, how do we grow? How do we do? How do we try new things? How do we get better at this? How do we think about that differently? How do we meet new people? How do we have friends that are younger? You know, if you're asking questions, that's growth. If you're stuck with your answers, that's decline, quite honestly. So having a growth mindset is critical. And then mental health is so important. I find so many people, you know, are, are full of anxiety and stress and worry and depression and PTSD and ADD and ADHD. And so many people are sort of compromised in their ability to be themselves because they're really living in reaction to all these things that happened to them growing up, right? And we've all run a gauntlet, right? Everybody's come through a gauntlet. I don't know. I've not met a person that had a perfect childhood that transitioned into a perfect, right? It doesn't happen. And, that, and that's great that it doesn't happen because I now see everything as an opportunity. So the fact that you went through those struggles, now that's an opportunity for growth is really what that is. How do I actually unravel those knots and actually heal those wounds and actually reclaim my birthright to be myself, right? To be my unencumbered self. There's a great movie on YouTube called Finding Joe um, that I'd recommend everybody take a look at. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. It's really inspirational. I think it's really uh, characterizes this nicely. I'm not going to give away the plot, but Finding Joe on YouTube, you can watch things that you know, whatever speed you want. So I tend to speed things up. So I watch it at about 1.5. A lot of times I'll watch things at 2.0, but I watch this at 1.5 because it just comes fast enough for me. So whatever is comfortable for you. You can get it. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's really important. And then feeling loved. I find so many people don't really love themselves. They're still beating themselves up, right? And then having good relationships. There's so many things that go into having good relationships. Like one thing is I think language is a very poor form of communication. And yet we always say that communication is the problem. Especially the English, yeah. English language. Well, any lang any <laughs> yeah. language, quite honestly. And Bernard Shaw has this great quote that the problem with communication is the illusion that it's occurred. Mm -hmm. You think it's occurred, but right. yeah, has it really reached them in the same way? Mm -hmm. That's right. So if you and I were really communicating, right, we'd be communicating telepathically, right? I would I would mm -hmm. I would know everything that's in your head. You'd know everything that's in my head and spirit, right? That would be communication, right? And yet we're dribbling out words, trying to paint pictures of what's inside, and you're trying to recreate a picture in your head, right? It's a flawed it's a flawed it thing, and so when you understand that, it gives you so much empathy for the other person. It's like so when somebody tells me something now, like I'm feeling this, it's like oh well, tell me more about that because I'm only getting a snippet. I know there's got to be so much more behind that than what they're able to dribble out with a few words, right? So it changes the form of communication in relationships. So I think that's really critical too. And then there's ideas around forgiveness and other things. But anyways, you go through this circle, you know, being spiritually aligned, having good energy with the universe, if you will, where you feel this 
greater sense of purpose and you're really connected yes. to everything that's here energetically, right? And then feeling safe. I find this is a massive issue for people. People simply don't feel safe. I found that if people are reacting to anything, whether it's anxiety, stress, anger, whatever it is, underlying that, when you cut down all through it, it's they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe. And so it's important to understand that there's nothing external to you, nothing, no set of circumstances, no amount of money, no relationships, whatever, that is actually going to make you feel safe ever because all that can be taken away. It has to be from the inside. You have to be able to give yourself safety or understand that you're safe based on the fact that you're an eternal being or however you frame that up, right? But I think that's a critical piece. And when you get that right, all of a sudden it frees you up to start to be yourself. It's like, no, I'm safe. Like in this conversation, all right, I'm going to stop. It's like, do I feel safe here? Yeah, I feel completely safe. Okay. Now it's like I can bring all my gifts forward. Whereas if I'm not, if I'm feeling like I'm on tilt, right, I'm holding back. I'm trying to work in reaction to that, et cetera. So this is all really, really important stuff. And when you get all that, all that energy right, it has a great healing effect. It improves relationships, it improves oxytocin, it improves telomere lengths, it improves all kinds of biological processes, and yet it still doesn't actually solve the problem of some of the real drivers of aging that still need to be addressed. So that's kind of a, a long answer to your question, I suppose. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell me when how you have made the shift in your mind to thinking of yourself as not your chronological age, but more your biological age. Yeah. I'm still struggling with that a little bit. I wake up in the morning and think, okay, do I feel 40 or do I feel 61? Oh, okay. How did you make that shift? Okay. Well, first off, what I do is when I talk with clients is I have them claim an age. The idea is at what age did you feel, you know, you were at your best? you know, your very best. And what I'm talking about here is physically, because when it comes to experience, wisdom, all those kinds of things, the beauty of this with longevity also is that you get to stay chronologically, physiologically the same age. Let's say you stay 30 for your entire life, and yet you have this exponential increase in impact. And that's a function of your exponential increase in experience, wisdom, right? Perspective, all these things that really make life a joy. So what I do is I simply wake up and claim that I'm 27 every morning. It's like I'm waking up. I don't care if I feel tired that morning or great that morning. No, I'm 27. I felt tired when I was 27. I felt great when I was 27. So that's not going to be the differentiator. But I claim that I'm 27. It's like, oh, we're doing a podcast today. Oh, great. I'm 27. That's going to be fun. Right. Well, I went out and body surfed this morning. Surf's come up here. I'm in Puerto Rico at the moment. You know, it was probably three to four feet, five feet, maybe. And it's like, oh, great. I'm 27. Let's go out and body surf. Right. So it's like when you have that mindset, all of a sudden it's like you get away from this whole shtick of, oh, I'm too old for that or for my age or all that BS that I think just really changes your mindset into acquiescence. So I claim to be 27. And the reason I claim to be 27 is I'm going to be 30 when I'm 100. I need a little headroom before I get there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other funny thing is, is that, you know, I was just at this conference and I had my brain age measured using a, a technology that was there called BrainTap. And they said, you know, and this was at the end of the conference, they said, you know, you have one of the best brains we've tested. Um, your brain age is 34. And I was like, oh, that's great. And they said, you know what? You have, great. you have a lot of gamma, which we only see in really creative people. Oh, and by the way, 
um, looking at the energy production you have, you're like an Olympic athlete. And I was like, oh, well, I'll take that too. That makes you feel 27. Exactly. Right. I've done another glycan age that's put me at 26. My cardiovascular system is excellent, like exceptional for somebody in their 30s. So, you know, there's all these different ages. This is the other thing. We're not a single age, right? You have a chronological age. That's really what I've come to understand chronological age really is not really age. It's just how many years have you been on the planet? So if somebody asks me, how old are you? I almost hesitate to give them an age. It's like, well, I've been on the planet, you know, this long. Well, how old are you? Well, I'm 27, right? And so (laughs) you, you get it though. Yeah, people smile and they laugh, right? But it's so, so, so important to claim your youth, right? Because what's the alternative? You're going to wake up old. So for you, I would have you pick an age that you want to be and just claim it every morning. I do. What age do you want to be? It's just in the last couple months. Okay. I claimed Good. 37 because I, I was feeling healthy. I was vibrant. I could do everything I wanted to do. Nice. Um, All right. And a it. good friend of mine who's 37 is in that same way right now. So I yeah. thought, that's where I am. I'm that age again. Perfect. I love it. Because when you wake up 37, yes. your mind will yes. go to where you focus your attention and it'll answer the questions that you're asking. So if you wake up 37 every morning, and it's like, oh, what would I be doing now that I'm 37? What do I want to do now that I'm 37? It's like, oh, well, let's do this. Let's do that. And I love the fact that you have a 37 year old friend, right? That your friends are not just your, you know, how many years have you been on the planet? Well, those are the only people I'm going to socialize with because they listen to the same music I did. It's like, who cares, right? You have to have people across the whole spectrum, younger friends, younger thinking people, absolutely, yeah. There's so much we can talk about as to how to get this biological age that we're wanting. There's there's plasma apheresis, there's working on the thyroid, there's yes. making your thymus younger, there's so many things. Just with the amount of time we have today, and I, I hope you do come back, oh, yeah. but pick one thing and just dive just a little bit into it, if you would, that you think is important for this aging process? Yeah, let me just frame it by this, right? Some of these technologies are expensive. For some people, they're not expensive, right? But they are. but for other people, for the majority of people, they would be considered expensive. And you have to understand that this is kind of like going to Mars, right? To make 100 to new 30, right? Or live well beyond 120, that's like going to Mars. Nobody's ever done that before, right? How many millions, billions of dollars are people spending on trying to go to Mars? And yet to work with us, it doesn't cost a million dollars, right? But it doesn't mean that it's cheap. So for people that are serious about, I actually want to be 30 years old, I want to be as young as possible. And it actually takes less effort to keep a young person young than it does to bring back an older, take an older person and make them young. That's also an exponential curve. The amount of resources it takes to take a 70 year old and make them 30 is so much more than it is to take a 40 year old back to 30 or a 50 year old. So if you're really interested in longevity, Know that you're never going to be, I hate to use the word, but you're never going to be younger than you are today from a chronological standpoint. And it's never going to be easier than it is right now, right? So take action today. I wouldn't procrastinate. But I think to frame this up, I think there's so many things that you can do that are free, like, you know, the life energy circle. These are things that you can work through for free or work with a counselor or somebody like that. The performance circle, right? Fast, agile, strong, quick, balanced, all doable. Right? flexible, yep. good cardiovascular endurance, all doable. You can do this at home. You can do it with a trainer. You can commit to doing it. And I have people in my practice basically working out seven days a week. And the reason that 
I have people do that is because if you're working out five days a week or four days a week, then you have to wake up every morning and decide, is today the day? And you can come up with excuses. That's right. And anytime there's a decision involved, the failure rate goes to 100%. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So take the decision out of it. And this is true for everything. Take the decisions out of it, right? If you want to eat better, don't have the stuff in the house that you don't want to eat. Mm -hmm. Take it out of your life. So it's even when you crave it, it's like it's not there. And you can't do it, right? So these are simple little things that are free, but they have a massive impact on your health, right? They're not going to re-lengthen your telomeres. They will change your epigenetic age. You know, it's not going to reboot all your stem cells or overcome immunosenescence or proteostasis or things like that. But there are these things that are super important. So having said that, yes, in our practice, we have an IRB Institutional Review Board approved study called LifeRaft, which is basically leveraging different technologies that are played in that right timing, sequence, frequency, intensity, duration. And, and really for us, the way we think of it is this is playing the symphony of longevity, if you will. That longevity is really a symphony because of this timing, sequence, frequency, intensity, duration with which you're doing these various things. And so in that, yes, plasmapheresis is a part of it. Young plasma is a part of it. Rapamycin is a part of it. We have a telomerase product that we're the only ones in the world that have access to right now that's phenomenally powerful. And that's how you changed your telomere direction, isn't it? You got COVID and then your telomeres changed for the worse. That's right. Telomeres are the end caps on your chromosomes. They're kind of a timekeeper for the cell. When they get short... They cause the cell to go into a zombie state or a senescent state, which is really accelerating the whole aging process. So mine were always younger than my chronological age, by maybe four or five years. After COVID, I was five years older than my chronological age. A wake up. And so I was a wake up. So anyway, I started using this product, and it's not something you take every day. We could have another podcast about it. But anyway, I took it several times, starting in May of 2021. And I retested my telomeres in November of 2021. And I was, I'd gone from the 26th percentile for my age to the 99th percentile, but actually I was above the entire graph. And if you <laughs> extrapolated over, I would still be in like the 83rd percentile for a 35 year old, right? So, I mean, for a 30 year old, I would have been in like the 75th or 80th percentile, right? So these are the kinds of things that are possible. This technology exists, and we, we have a, another IRB-approved protocol just for the telomerase product also, if people want to jump in on that. There's money involved because we need to, in the research program, we want to do testing to see where you're at across a number of different variables and then give you the product and retest and do some things like that. So it still is an investment, but it works, right? And so that's been very exciting. Tell us about the onboarding process to Gladden Longevity before we close for now. Right. So, you know, my mission really has been to make 100 to new 30, and I've been all in on that, right? It's kind of like... I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it takes. You know, I've invested probably millions of dollars into this at this point in time to, to literally crack the code. We feel like we're really right on the verge of doing that. So if people want to come in and do life raft, which we don't really recommend right off the bat, that's going to be a fairly expensive proposition, some hundreds of thousands of dollars, actually. But mm -hmm. if people want to onboard, you know, they can come in and they can do a 90-day sprint with us where it's like, well, how old am I? measure my mosaic of ages, right? We all have this chronological age, but we all have all these physiological ages and longevity ages. When you put all that together, it's really a mosaic. You know, you can be 26 here and you can be 42 there and you can be 53 here and you can be 35 there. And you're really only as young as your oldest age, right? So then you kind of know where you are and what to work on and how to go about it, right? And so 
So we're, we're very much into that. I really am a, not a fan of people that go out and get a test for a, a bio age test and they get one number and it's like, oh, see, I'm five years younger than my chronological age. I'm doing great. It's like, well, that's such a misleading factor because we're really at this mosaic of everything. So people can onboard with us and do this 90 day sprint. We'll go through and build out testing and kind of show them where they're at. They can onboard with us. My shoulder's really bugging me or I have long haul symptoms or I've got you know a cardiac issue or I've got a joint issue. My knee is really bugging me or you know my gut is a problem or I have Lyme's disease or something like that or my brain is bothering me, right? We have some amazing brain technology we can go in and in 90 days understand it at a much deeper level than you would otherwise. So again, this is an investment. So now you're talking 15, 25K, maybe 30K for, for a lot of these things, depending on who the person is and what their problems are. So we're not cheap to work with. We're not the cheapest solution, but we are the best ROI for the investment, quite honestly. So if you're going to invest in your health, I don't think there's a better place to invest. And of course, you're getting an exponential return. So we were talking before we started this podcast, since we're going to live longer and there will be expenses in doing this to help us achieve a longer health span, you don't quit working at 65. You know, there's been a lot of studies looking at retirement. When people retire, they decline. When Social Security was instituted, it's expected that people would retire at whatever the age was, 60, I think initially or whatever it was, and then they would die a few years later. And now people are living longer. And I think that, quite honestly, a lot of people don't enjoy their work. For a lot of people, work is work, right? For what you do and what I do, we wake up and it's a joy. It's a joy. We're doing what it's we love. It's a passion. It's a passion, right? But it hasn't always been that way. That's right. We had to adjust That's to right. get here. So here's mm -hmm. the point. So for the audience listening, if you're in a job where you're working, then realize that you'll get to the end of that. And instead of retiring, transition into something that you love. Transition into something that you're passionate about because that will be life-giving. That will keep you engaged. That will keep you asking questions, right? It'll keep you growing instead of declining. And I think what's gonna happen is people are gonna be engaged longer, earning income longer. And I think that's how this is gonna work. If you think that you're gonna retire at 65, live on your social security and your 401k or whatever it is, you know, unless you're have been very, very successful in life, when you factor in inflation and everything else, you're probably not going to get to have financial resources at 100 or 120 for sure. But if you're really focused on, hey, you know what, I want to have an exponential impact for my family, my friends, my community and things like that, then you'll transition into and you can start asking the question now, how am I going to transition into this? How am I going to make this even more profitable? How do I go into a business where, you know, it's kind of inflation proof, right? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. How do I do that so I can actually have the funds to fuel the impact that I want to have? Those are the questions that, that you need to address. So that's how I see it. I've loved this conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Jane. It's left me shot out of the cannon for the rest of the day. <laughs> Dr. Jeffrey Gladden, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Great. We'll do it again. Yeah. All yeah. right. You take care. I look forward to that very much. <laughs> You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot, and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. 
The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.